Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speaker's secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. During this new episode of Founder Series, we are sitting down with Dimitri Gerhansen, co-founder and CEO of Enduring Planet. Dimitri built Enduring Planet to be a fintech lender focused exclusively on the new climate economy in order to provide fast and simple founder-friendly capital to climate entrepreneurs, both big and small. His company lends to startups and SMBs through a product called Revenue-Based Financing, RBF, which requires no collateral, no personal guarantees and no dilution. Above all, it was designed to be easy and fast for entrepreneurs so they can apply in 10 minutes, get a term sheet in a week and get funded in 30 days. I was excited to speak with Dimitri, who discovered his passion for sustainability while working in Honduras, realizing the possibility of improving livelihoods while meeting climate and environmental goals. Dimitri got a master in energy and resource at Berkeley University before working at Facebook, where he built a program improving access to energy in emerging markets as a driver of connectivity. He oversaw the investments of over 15 million to give about 4 million people electricity for the first time. While at Facebook, he also built a program to provide greater access for credit to women entrepreneurs across the Asia-Pacific and Latin America regions. 
He then transitioned to co-found Enjoying Planet to provide climate-focused companies with a financing alternative to traditional VC capital. In this episode, we will learn more about the main players and needs in the climate finance landscape today, the global amount needed to reach net zero versus how much is currently deployed, and the main challenges and opportunities in the market to accelerate the capital deployment. Together, we will cover the real impact of those funds and capital allocation on climate change and the planet in general, why they need to exist, and whether green finance can be a greenwashing tool to some investors are leveraging to attract more capital under management. Finally, Dimitri will share his founder's journey in building Enjoying Planet, what keeps him up at night, and how you can get involved. During the second part of the talk, Dimitri will give his secret sauce for early stage founders looking to fundraise by giving his tips for increasing the odds of success. Finally, he will share how he has managed to maintain a good work-life balance as a busy CEO and some of the books he has learned from. Dimitri, welcome to the show. Hi Dimitri, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today and I believe it's going to be a, a great opportunity to hear your story and learn more about uh, what you are up to with Enduring Planet. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So before we start, uh, can you give us a 30-second introduction about Enduring Planet? Sure. Yeah, Enduring Planet is a fintech lender focused exclusively on the new climate economy. So we provide fast, simple, and founder-friendly capital to climate entrepreneurs, big and small. We lend to startups and SMBs uh, currently through a product called revenue-based financing. So no collateral, no personal guarantees, no dilution. Uh, apply in 10 minutes, get a term sheet in a week, get funded in 30 days. So before we go and uh, we, we, we dig into that and try to understand how everything works uh, with you guys, let's start from the, from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about you know, your personal story uh, and background? Sure. I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do besides building Enduring Planet? I mean, what makes you feel inspired and like your best self, as I always ask, like, who is Dimitri? Who is Dimitri? Where to start? Uh, I, I've been working in climate and, and impact investing for over a decade now. Uh, so I started my career working internationally. I lived and worked in Honduras for a couple of years uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer, working on everything ranging from household electrification to clean cooking to sustainable agriculture and coffee production. Uh, that got me really into sort of the idea that uh, there are ways in which we can improve livelihood while meeting, call it climate, environmental goals. I figured I should probably learn some things. And so I went back to school. I went to grad school at Berkeley, uh, thinking I would get a PhD in energy and resources. After getting my master's, I realized that sort of the academic path wasn't entirely for me. And I ended up joining Facebook of all places, now Meta, to build out a program to support in improving access to electricity in emerging markets as a driver of connectivity. We invested a little over 15 million bucks into a variety of uh, startups, uh, debt funds, uh, nonprofits. We built products ourselves, both hardware and software in the space. We got somewhere between three and five million people electricity for the first time through that program. Then I, I transitioned to the product partnerships team at Facebook. I, I ran some corporate accelerators uh, focused on impact tech, one in India, one in Puerto Rico, 
And then I also built a, uh, a program together with Calvert Impact Capital to provide greater access to credit for women entrepreneurs across uh, Asia Pacific and Latin America that were building sort of e-commerce businesses on the Facebook platform. Uh, I left after about five years and joined this group called Enduring Ventures. And Enduring Ventures is kind of a, an interesting mini young Berkshire Hathaway. So they have mostly a holding company model where they acquire and manage portfolios of small businesses, uh, ranging from HVAC to construction to rural internet. Um, they also have a venture studio. And so I joined on the holding company side. I, I did some M&A and ran one of the portfolio businesses for about a year. I also helped incubate a startup in the venture studio that raised money from lower carbon twice. Uh, and I still sit on the board of that company. It's called Ecosafi. And then I, in April of last year, we sort of, we brought in this uh, really seasoned industry CEO to take over the company that I'd been leading. And I stepped down and had this opportunity to kind of get creative and, and sort of imagine what I could do next. Uh, and the Enduring Ventures team graciously offered me support through the Venture Studio to kind of build whatever I wanted. And I pitched them on this idea for a climate fintech business that would offer uh, entrepreneurs in the space a different model of capital. And initially, the idea was to uh, invest against future carbon offsets. Uh, but I, I didn't really, I couldn't get comfortable with the voluntary carbon market at the time. And so uh, thinking about the space and thinking about all the projected growth and expansion and all this opportunity, I said, well, if we can't invest against carbon offsets, why don't we just invest against revenue? And that was kind of the initial idea. Uh, outside of work, I spend most of my free time with my four-year-old. I have this um, tiny human um, named Luna who is just incredible and Congrats. makes me feel sort of inadequate always because she's just such a wonderful tiny person and she's only four. Um, and, you know, that takes up probably 99% of my free time. Um, <laughs> but it's a pretty good motivator, you know, having a kid uh, who still has, you know, many decades ahead of them in a world where we may not have many decades ahead of us. Uh, it's pretty terrifying and also very... Um, it's a very powerful stimulant. So thank you for sharing this, uh, this whole uh, journey that, uh, that you have uh, and ended up by you know, sharing this uh, intimate setup with, you, uh, with your daughter uh, as a motivator as well to, uh, to, to keep going into the, you know, into the fight against uh, climate change and try to uh, at least move the, the status quo. But out of all of those experiences that you mentioned, um, can, can you like maybe you know, tell us if you... What did you learn along that that way that in a way gave you some you know like uh, an edge to uh, to start enjoying planet like what was the this maybe you can mention like a couple of experience that uh, yeah. really like has been uh, super helpful now for uh, for this new new venture so i think there's probably there's a few uh, i can maybe focus on three of them one came while i was in the peace corps and i i'd entered the Peace Corps with this idea that I would be saving the planet. And then I spent time with people who were living a very different life than I had lived. Um, sort of, I, 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 I became more aware of the 
pretty dramatic inequality and lack of, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, development in some of these markets. And I realized that the, the thing that mattered more to me than saving the planet, because the planet really on like the planetary time scale is going to be fine. You know, even if we nuked everything a billion years from now, there would be plenty of new life and it would be as if we never existed. Uh, but all of the damage that we're doing today has a disproportionate effect on underprivileged populations. And so that, that was kind of the initial motivator. Okay. I'm going to work on, on sort of climate and people, climate and development. And then when I went to grad school, I ended up in South Sudan. So I was living and working in Juba for a little while. And I initially planned to be working on policy, uh, but sort of unfortunately for South Sudan and unfortunately for my master's about six months before my master's was due, the country fell into a new civil war. And I had this like urgent need to sort of pivot and figure something else out. Otherwise I'd have to extend grad school by another year. And I, I sort of came across this work around the challenges of financing the energy transition in Africa. And I had been sort of chatting with this group called Cross Boundary, which invests all over the region in um, CNI and energy access projects. They also do a bunch of investment advisory work. And we ended up collaborating on a paper together with a professor out of Stanford, a guy named Ashby Monk, and my advisor at, at Berkeley, Dan Kamen, uh, on sort of microgrid finance as a and sort of me mechanisms for advancing capital flows into microgrids on emerging markets. And that really got me down the like finance path. I ended up taking a bunch of classes at Haas, at the business school at Berkeley. I, I, I basically did everything I could to just absorb sort of project finance and early stage corporate finance. And then I spent some time working on uh, market development and sort of startup development in the energy access sector with the IFC and Lighting Global. There's a big program around sort of supporting startups to address energy gaps in East Africa. And, and, and that was kind of the like, okay, first I transitioned from planet to people, then from sort of like policy to finance. And then in my time at, at Facebook, as we spent all of this, we like really invested in understanding the gaps in the energy access market and climate and emerging markets and sort of the, the, the expansion of renewables in places like East Africa, Southeast Asia, Latin America. The number one gap that kept coming back was sort of appropriate capital and catalytic capital. And that's where I spent most of my time. It, it's, it's a I, you know, I then uh, ran a couple of accelerators and, and spent a lot of time with startups who were fundraising. I, I coached founders on fundraising for a while. And, you know, time and time again, I would see the same thing, which is that in this universe, in this world where the planet is basically on fire and we have no time, uh, we're still fucking around with sort of the traditional model of investing, right? There's a lot of classic debt, which is for late stage companies with collateral requirements, personal guarantees, you know, all sorts of complexity, nine month underwriting process, you name it. And then on the other side of the market, you have VC uh, and 
you know, there are there's grants and there's project finance. But if you look at like corporate finance, there's this big empty hole where people aren't really innovating. They're not really driving change. And in a world where, you know, we need to hit, call it four or five, some people say 10 trillion a year of investing, and we're seeing 600 billion flow into the market every year. That's a big open space yeah. where so, uh, fairly significant transformation needs to happen. And I, I believe this is a good, uh, good, uh, good time for a good segue for the for my my next next question. It's really like taking this, uh, you know, like zooming out and trying to understand and grasp a little bit more like this uh, environment that uh, you're navig navigating on with uh, Enduring Planet. So, I mean, and you started to uh, to uncover that a little bit, but um, you know. According to you, like if you could give us a little bit more this overview on the climate finance landscape today, I mean, um, you mentioned like what is, what is the global amount uh, needed to, in a way, to support this this uh, ambitious goal of like net zero and and yeah. and what's this the, the the gap today? I mean, uh, currently, how much has been deployed in terms of uh, of capital? Is there any way to really estimate that, or is it just like big estimation and rough estimation? And yep. and. And who are the main players? I mean, meaning those capital allocators, like how, how is it organized? Yeah, that's a good question. So maybe to start at the like the highest level and then come down. There are lots of estimates for how much money we need to be spending to prevent sort of the worst outcome scenarios. And what we're talking about here is, you know, attempting to get to, you know, probably two degrees at this point, because I don't think one and a half is, is, is like, we're just going to blow past that. So now the question is two degrees. And uh, lots of folks have made different estimates. They range from, you know, a trillion to 10 trillion. I, I like to kind of go in the middle. I think McKinsey had a sort of four and a half trillion dollar number, something around that. And that's kind of where, where I anchor. A lot of that is project finance and sort of national infrastructure development funding. Uh, but a lot of that is also corporate investment, right? It's a uh, large businesses investing in hundred percent renewable strategies. You know, you look at Google, Facebook, whatever. Um, it's uh, companies like Nike uh, transforming their supply chains and it's, you know, all of this investment in creating what I call the new climate economy, right? Every element of our society needs to change from how we get to work to the things that we buy to, you know, uh, what we eat to how we power our buildings. Like everything needs to change. And so much of that is what I would call, um, balance sheet finance. And, and that's the problem that I think requires probably, everybody's gonna argue with me, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I think it requires more attention uh, than the, some of the other issues because pr project finance is, is fairly substantial in the space. It has been mm -hmm. growing. There's a lot of really established structures there's still quite a bit of innovation that needs to happen in, you know, call it electric vehicle fleet finance and uh, storage finance. But uh, often those processes are fairly cookie cutter, like project finance is it's project finance. 
I don't know. It, I feel like you read a textbook on project finance and it's like kind of going to be representative of most things. Uh, where there's still a lot of opportunity for innovation is a sort of corporate balance sheet finance side. And there's a graphic I can actually show you, uh, mm -hmm. which is, is this. This is from a really fantastic report by the uh, Climate Policy in Institute or Initiative. And they did a whole landscape of the flows of capital into climate. And so they estimated about 630 billion a year flowed into the space with this breakdown. So there's project level debt, there's low cost project debt, there's project level equity. And then there's a bunch of sort of balance sheet finance split between equity and debt with much more equity flowing than debt during that time. And that's kind of, I, I, that doesn't seem right to me. Um, mm -hmm. Debt is a lot cheaper. It's a much better instrument than equity for a significant portion of a company's spend, whether it's marketing or sales or you know, channel partner development, you name it. There's like a lot of areas where raising equity just doesn't really make much sense. And so this to me signals that there's a pretty big opportunity to provide mm -hmm. debt to the market, which then helps founders reduce their cost of capital. It helps them retain ownership. It helps transfer more ownership to employees because now there's more equity available because it hasn't been given away to VCs. It also, I think, helps tamper, temper some of the sort of VC market dynamics because uh, now money doesn't have to be raised at uh, crazy increasing valuations that aren't representative of the business. Like there's a lot of benefits that I think come from better capitalizing businesses. So my, my, my question would be for you is like, at which level in the value chain um, hmm. this balance sheet financing is the most appropriate uh, for, for, for companies? I mean, I guess like uh, uh, it's more like working together with uh, uh, maybe venture capitalists or like grants allocator uh, at different stage. And then uh, so at which stage uh, is it the most appropriate? and. What are the, the challenges and, and opportunity that uh, that you see uh, in a way to accelerate uh, this balance sheet uh, financing uh, at scale? I mean, what is blocking it? Uh, what are the, the roadblocks that you see? Uh, is it like a need, um, you know, for new providers like like you? Uh, is it maybe a lack of alternative or the green premium in a way is too high? I mean, what is your, your stake on that? Yeah, yeah, but so it's two questions. To, to start, uh, VC and debt are both balance sheet finance. So just to like ter terminology wise, balance sheet finance yeah. is anything that finances the balance sheet of the company. Uh, in terms of, I think your question is like, okay, well, when can a company raise debt, right? As opposed to equity. Uh, and the answer to that is it depends. It depends on the debt and it depends on the instruments that are available to a company. There are debt products that are specifically tailored to companies that, you know, might be working with their first customer. So they have a PO and they're working towards that PO and they can actually borrow against the value of that PO. There are debt products to finance your initial inventory. There are debt products that finance revenue, revenue-based financing. There are debt products that support factoring. So where basically you pre-sell contracts 
Um, this works often in SaaS, but people are getting into this with sort of services-based businesses where there are long-term recurring contracts. You can basically pre-sell them at a discount to, to, to buyers. Uh, there's a whole universe of capital available to founders. Now, it's in climate, it is incredibly underdeveloped mm-hmm. because the providers aren't there and the interest hasn't been there. And I think that's changing. Um, you know, we're not the only lender in climate today. Uh, Third Sphere has a debt fund. Uh, Lacey has a debt fund. Uh, there's a group called Homecoming Capital. There, there's a there's a few. Uh, I was we're the only, I would say, fintech lender focused exclusively mm-hmm. on climate today. And you know, there's, I think, a few things that keep this thing from being at the scale that it needs to be. Right. So one is. I think general like market education, you know, there's so much talk about this venture round or this valuation or this exit. And there's very little dialogue about sort of holistic fundraising and thinking about different instruments to fill your capital needs. So I think there's an education gap. Two, I think there's a provider gap. I think we just need more of us. I would be happy to see a hundred enduring planets out there. Uh, you know, the, the need is so large that We'd have plenty of work to do. There's also, I think, uh, some limitations on sort of understanding of how these companies truly perform. So there's like a data gap, which, you know, I think if if we had better data that were publicly available, and this is the this is the same problem exists in e-commerce and SaaS, and people got around it by just doing transactions, right? But I think you know, having some performance data about, okay, well, you know, climate is not just super hard tech that takes 15 years to see your first dollar of revenue. There's this entire universe of companies. How do we think about lending to this universe? And how do we think about deploying capital at various stages with increasing uh, sort of, with, with a reduction in risk premium for companies as they perform, as they hit certain milestones? Uh, do, do you, does that does that make sense? Do you think I've answered yeah. it? Yeah, I think it makes sense, and I, I like to you know um, zoom out a little bit and ask you. I mean, do you see any difference between uh, the EU and US North America uh, market per se in itself, or do you see that there is more like players, or like maybe the regulation is easier, or how do you see? Uh, I mean, on both sides of the Atlantic, I would say. It's a good question. You know, we we invest exclusively in the U.S. for now, in part because we're not trying to navigate cross-border lending regulations and requirements and sort of there's a lot of you know data privacy differences between the U.S. and Europe, although we are we actually sort of already, I would say, probably are G- GDPR compliant. Um, but I, I think that, you know, the the starting point is thinking about what is the capital that's available. And in Europe, there is way less venture capital. And so that creates a more, in some ways, a more interesting environment for alternative finance. Mm -hmm. That's why there's like probably 10 RBF lenders like us in Europe, but lending to other sort of markets, e-commerce, SaaS, um, you know, recurring services, whatever. Uh, there's, There's quite a few players that offer sort of a similar instrument and they exist because there's this big gap. Yeah. Having said that, I think there's also just a smaller community 
uh, of borrowers. And so in some ways, you know, why didn't we start in Europe? Because, you know, in some ways, the U.S. presents a larger market to, to, to begin to deploy this capital in. But I, I think, you know, Europe's a pretty exciting place to expand for us. And we think that there's a deep need. But I think this need is everywhere. I mean, it, right now we're, we're mostly talking about venture-backed startups. But if you look at small businesses that are part of the climate transition, folks who might be doing residential solar sales, folks who might be doing energy efficiency retrofits, they have no access to credit. You know, that like VCs aren't going to give them capital. And if they go to a bank, they have to put their house up as collateral in order to fund their business. And mm -hmm. that's, to me, it's, it's, it's often a, you know, we haven't even talked about sort of the like inclusion aspects of this financial ecosystem, which largely almost exclusively serves white men. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty big problem for having like an equitable and inclusive climate transition because underrepresented founders just, I mean, you know, 1% of venture capital, less than 1% goes to uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. So that's insane. Because it, that's insane, and that's insane. But I, I, unfortunately, I mean, it sounds that uh, this this gap uh, has been there for a long time, and and thanks to uh, people like you are raising up uh, this voice uh, to, to to make the change. And I think thanks uh, thanks to you know services and tools like like yours, it will you know allow more um, minority in a way to get access to this uh, capital needed to you know grow and, and develop their their id companies and venture so to close this section uh before we, we jump into uh into the, the enduring planet as a company per se uh, i mean as everyone knows uh, there's always some you know controversy around like sustainable esg fund climate capital i mean according to you i mean what's the real impact of those uh, of those funds in terms of like you know uh, against climate change and, and for the planet in general in general but i mean or do you think it's more like a buzz or greenwashing thing that um, you know big investors can try to leverage to look uh, better and maybe attract more capital under management I think it is important to distinguish a public market ESG investing from other forms of climate finance, right? There's a big difference between call it what, I don't know, breakthrough does versus a public market ETF that may hold shares in, I don't know, Coca-Cola, right? Like dramatically different in terms of climate impact. Uh, I think that this ESG label is often misused, misunderstood, uh, greenwashing, whatever. I, but I think that's the problem with most finance. Like uh, until we realize as a collective community that uh, capitalists are not encouraged to provide a social good unless they're forced to, we're not going to see real change. And so this is where things like the SEC new disclosure requirements are important, but it's not enough, right? Um, this is why most people who have worked in climate for a long time push for really aggressive, you know, either carbon tax policy, reporting requirements, you know, a lot of folks push for divestment or activist investment. Like there's, there's so many different models 
most of those are not applied in traditional capitalism because that's not how capitalism works. Uh, you know, in our case, we invest exclusively in climate. We also actively prioritize investing in underrepresented founders. Like we, we created systems to ensure impact as part of our work. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's because of how, like we entrenched it in our corporate structure from day one. Um, so I think you have to look at that and say, okay, if I'm going to commit my money somewhere, either as a, as an individual who is investing in public markets or as an individual who might have enough wealth to be like an LP in a venture fund or, uh, you know, sort of participate in syndicates on AngelList, whatever it might be, you, you have to do your homework about what the definitions really mean and then decide for yourself, is that enough for you? So let's go back to uh, Enduring Planet. I mean, what is the, the story behind it? I mean, for who it is? And I think you already like uncovered part of, part of the, you know, part of the, 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 the solution here. But uh, I mean, what was the, the gap that you uh, originally identified and at first and, uh, and you know, led to the, the current version of uh, Enduring Planet and in a way why Enduring Planet had to exist? You know, we, we've talked about the fact that the market is dramatically underfunded. So that means that there's an opportunity to potentially move money in from the sidelines, folks who might be interested to participate, but there just isn't a vehicle for them to do so. Um, two, a lot of the funding for entrepreneurs is venture, which means that either there are people who are being left out because they're not quote, quote, venture backable, or there are people who are overcapitalizing their businesses with venture, when in reality, they should be taking less while raising additional funding in other forms to meet those overall capital needs. And then the last piece is, you know, if you look at the landscape of a sort of finance for SMBs and earlier stage climate startups, a lot of it is fairly classical and traditional. There's not a lot of use of these innovative tools that allow for faster deployment. And when the world's on fire, you, you kind of have to move fast. And so with all of that in mind, you know, my idea was, okay, well, why don't we build a, an automated lending platform for climate? That was kind of the starting position. And then the question was, okay, if we're going to automate and move quickly and deploy a lot of capital at scale, what are the right products that lend themselves best to automation? And, and that's sort of how I landed initially on revenue-based financing, because it's, a, it's an instrument that the, the sort of underwriting model, the servicing model, a lot of the pieces lend themselves well to automation and sort of APIs and fintech tools and all of these products. So that was, that was the initial idea. I, I kind of started shopping it around with people, talking to folks I knew in the industry, uh, we formed the company out of the Enduring Ventures Venture Studio in May of 2021. And then I immediately decided that I needed a co-founder because I had, had never done lending myself. I had invested in lenders. I had mm -hmm. worked with a ton of lenders. I'd been a provider of capital to them, but I'd never been a lender myself. And so I reached out to a friend who I'd known for many years, Erin Davis. She had started a debt fund called SEMA, which does lending to clean energy entrepreneurs all over Africa, India, Pakistan. They raised, I think, close to $200 million across a few funds. And 
when I told Erin about my idea, uh, you know, she was just coming off maternity leave. She was, she really loved it. And so we teamed up, she joined the team in July. We then uh, immediately expanded our board as well and brought in this uh, incredible investor, uh, entrepreneur, her name is Olympia DeCastro. She has started a group called CIM out of San Francisco, which is a lender to alternative credit fintechs. So I think while she was there, they did, I don't know, half a billion dollars worth of lending to folks like us. And so she knew all the models. She had contacts in the industry. She connected us with a bunch of founders who had started fintech companies like ours, who shared their docs with us and helped us sort of build a, uh, a model, you know, in two weeks that it would have taken us six months to figure out. And then we went and raised a bunch of money. And so we uh, brought together, call it, climate VCs, generalist VCs, fintech VCs, angels, syndicates uh, into a into a sort of a party round safe. Uh, so we did a pre-seed round back in December. Uh, and then we took some of that capital and demonstrated that we could lend in the market. Mm -hmm. And so we did a couple transactions. And in parallel to doing those, we raised a debt facility. So we were about halfway there. We just did a first close on it. We'll be doing a second close, hopefully in June. And uh, that will give us about $5 million to invest in the space. It's probably about 20-ish transactions. Mm -hmm. And that will all be all revenue-based financing. And then in parallel, we're starting to look at other products and other instruments that we can deploy in the market. We actually just did a pilot investment with a different structure that I can't yet talk about. Uh, and then we're also working with a large corporate strategic on a partnership to lend to SMBs that are also in climate in the US. Uh, and so, you know, our goal is to prove that this uh, alternative finance model works in climate and then really scale it both in terms of who we serve uh, SMBs, startups, where we serve them, US, Europe, Canada, Australia, you name it. Um, and then what products we offer them. Eventually, we would like to offer climate entrepreneurs non-dilutive capital at every step of their journey from inception to, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. as so speaking about the, the, the selection of the, of the project uh, you're looking at, so uh clearly there's like uh, i mean it's climate tech um you know project uh so how does it work like how do you ensure like uh, uh that is not only like you know the, the financial viability uh of you know of the uh, of the the person who is borrowing the the money uh but uh what are the you know other criteria that uh, you are or you have put in place to ensure that uh you kind of like stick to the frame and you're just lending money to uh, anyone who has, uh, has revenue in a way. So there's a few things here. So one, we lend broadly across climate. We support companies that are in, call it mitigation or the reduction yeah. of emissions, folks who are re removing carbon from the atmosphere and folks who work in adaptation and resilience. We don't have a CO2 equivalent or GHG emission target reduction goal because we don't only fund companies with direct impact. 
if we invest in a business that has, call it SaaS revenue from providing folks uh, climate risk intelligence for agricultural lending, that's our second transaction, um, it's pretty hard to tie that to a GHG reduction, right? Having said that, it's a pretty critical piece of creating a world in which farmers can access capital in a sort of climate affected world, right? The, the other thing that we look at is we care deeply about supporting underrepresented marginalized founders, diverse teams and companies serving communities that may be adversely impacted because they are marginalized. And so in our underwriting criteria, we actually uh, add points to companies that might fit these criteria because we want to prioritize investing to them. I think beyond that, we're pretty open. So if a company, at least for our revenue-based financing product, mm -hmm. what we need to see is consistent growing revenue with yeah. strong gross margins. There needs to be a baseline of revenue that's met. We actually, all, all these criteria are public on our website. Uh, any company can go on our, our site and actually estimate how much revenue-based financing they could raise before they apply. There's no like email sign up. There's no username required. You can just go and play around with our calculator. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't, we don't like take bets based on where people went to school or who referred them to us or, you know, how big their TAM is. Like, that's not our job. We're not VCs. Yeah. We're here to provide fast, simple, founder-friendly debt capital to climate entrepreneurs of any shape or color or size, right? So you could be a small two-person business in Texas doing solar lead gen, or you could be a series A, you know, uh, microgrid controls, hardware and SaaS business. And like all of those things are in scope to us. So my, my next question, uh, and we're almost finished with the, that first part of the, of the show. So what are the, the current and expected economics of uh, Enjoying Planet? I mean, like uh, the business model and what is your you know, future projection that, uh, that you have? Uh, and maybe who is lending you the, the money as well? At what sure. terms? So we make money in a few different ways. We charge fees on the capital that we manage for the sort of capital that we raise. So almost like a fund. And then we also get carry on the investments that we make where we basically have a delta between the rate that we charge startups and or SMBs and the capital that we then have to pay back to our lenders. Mm -hmm. uh, our current fund has participation from a few call it high net worth individuals uh, a couple private foundations. Uh, we have some pooled DAF money. So it's a donor advised fund through impact assets. It's kind of a blend. Um, you know, I think that's probably how it will work for the first facility. And then we are in discussions with lots of different capital providers who like to support, call it alternative finance and climate for mm -hmm. our expansion. You know, our sort of ambitious goal is to be doing a billion dollars worth of capital deployment in five years. Uh, is, that, is that reasonable? I don't know. Uh, entrepreneurs are supposed to be a little crazy. Uh, ClearBank did a billion in five years. Pipe did a billion in a year and a half. So 
you know anything's possible yeah so what's the size of the the, the market opportunity on, on that you guys are estimating and and i mean what are the the step in a way to uh to scale and 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 do this uh this this billion in five years as a, as you mentioned as an ambitious goal i mean what's next well, for enduring planet yeah so if you look at where balance sheet finance needs to go we need to see probably one to two trillion a year of capital flows into this market so if we capture one percent that's 10 billion a year and i think you know the world's our oyster right like it's it's a crazy space in which there will only be more demand for capital and so i think there's an opportunity to position oneself as a sort of startup and founder aligned capital provider who is also value aligned around climate um and to provide capital in a way that makes it easier to raise rather than harder right like in our case the application process is about 10 minutes mm -hmm. we can cut a term sheet with just the application in about a week and we can fund in 30 days you find me a lender that can do that in climate mm -hmm. and i'll happily talk to them <laughs> But so, what, what's uh, what are the the, the steps and the in, in in a way like uh, the challenges that you see in front of you that you need to overcome? I mean, what keeps you up at night to uh, in a way to uh, keep moving towards that uh, that goal of uh, within you know in five years at least uh, deploying uh, you know allocating one billion. Um, so, I think mostly my kid keeps me up at night. If, if I'm up at night at all, um, she tends to show up in our room at four in the morning post whatever nightmare she had. Uh, no, I mean, look, I think one, we need to build a lot of tech to enable faster lending, right? Like today, most okay. of our work is, is, autom is, is manual and we need to mm -hmm. build automation through basically every step of the automating of the underwriting and servicing process. To like, in order to deploy the money, we have to raise the money. So we have to convince people that this is an asset class worth supporting. Uh, we need to show them that the track record that we have, albeit short, is sufficient to then double down, triple down, whatever, quintuple down. Mm -hmm. uh, we also need to educate founders that like venture capital isn't the only capital, and that's a, a surprisingly, you know, it's a thing I have to do like every day, and it's really fascinating to me that. People, you know, often first-time founders, they never get any help around how to think about money. And so they're like, okay, I can raise SBIR when I have nothing and sort of support my, my, my R&D. And then I have to go get venture. And that's all I have until I'm public, right? And like, that's absurd. Like, that's not, that, that's, that's the brainwashing from the venture capital industry that like, they are the, 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 the be all end all. And look, like we don't, we don't have any problems with VCs. We are VC backed. We partner with over 150 VCs in climate. Now, I think it's like 150. Uh, we share deal flow with everyone. We, we, I made, I don't know, 40 introductions this week so far between startups and VCs. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think 
folks re realize that like you can't just only fund these companies with VC. And now that there are alternative options, like we should get them in the mix. Um, so, I, you know, I think those are probably the main issues, uh, but they're all surmountable. And in the end, like, even if we don't do a billion, every penny we put in the hands of climate entrepreneurs is doing meaningful, impactful work. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to do the most that we can. And we're going to continue to sort of innovate around the products that we offer. We're going to continue to try to improve the process so that it's faster and simpler and easier. And I, I want to continue building out the additional value that we can provide entrepreneurs, whether it's insights around capital and fundraising, like we already produce a bunch of content on that front, whether it's uh, drawing some kind of conclusions from the data that we see in the market to help founders run their businesses better, uh, whether it's creating these connections between resources so that folks can move faster. Like in the end, you know, uh, we don't really have time to mess around. No. It, it, look around, you know? So what's your, what's your personal opinion on the, on the climate crisis? I mean, what would you say to, to people who are afraid of all of those terrible news and visible consequences that you can already see today? I mean, as I always ask, are we doomed? I mean, what, would you say? I think people should be afraid and I think they should take that fear and channel it into action because there's no other choice, right? I, I think, you know, we, when I was in grad school, one of the professors that we had who had been working in climate and, and applied ecology for 50 years, he took us on this hike on a beach in California and we were walking around and one of the students said, Hey, you know, if you had to summarize, if you had to distill the current climate situation into a sentence, what would you say? And he thought about it for a moment and he looked at all of us and he said, we're fucked. And we all froze like dumbfounded, right? This, this like distinguished professor, we had asked him this question. We expected this like wisdom and insight. And this was the answer. And so, you know, somebody else was like, well, what are we supposed to do with that? And he said, you know, you, you, you can do whatever you want, but in my mind, I can either like crawl into bed and stay there until the world implodes, or I can take all of my energy and panic and fear and frustration and anger and anxiety. And I can put it to work. Mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm, I'm like, I'm complicit. Yeah, thank you so much. I think, uh, you know, definitely, uh, we, we need more people like, uh, like you to, uh, to push towards like finding, uh, you know, solution mitigation to this, uh, your mangoes, uh, problem that we are all, uh, all facing. So how can the community of, uh, of, you know, investors, founders, uh, experts listening to the, to the show can help you? Well, if you're a founder and you're in the US and you're post revenue, come apply for funding, come, come take our money. We want to give it to you. Uh, if you're not yet there, but you want to be in touch, like reach out, we have a contact page, just hit us up. Hell, apply for funding, even if you're too early, you'll get a rejection notice and then we'll still stay in touch with you forever. 
if you're an investor and you want your portfolio to access non-dilutive capital, hit us up. If you want to send us deals, hit us up. Um, if you want to partner, like we, we want to build a community around this sort of push to get founders funded and mm -hmm. to move faster. And so we're, we're open to any and all ideas. You know, now's the time. So any question that I did not ask you that I should have? For this first part of the show? No, I, I, this was great. I really appreciate it. It was a really good conversation. Cool. So thank you so much, Dimitri, uh, for your time, your incredible insights, high energy. Uh, and uh, I'm so excited to see so many, you know, brilliant people like you uh, taking that step towards a you know, better world. So. Uh, Keep doing, uh, and definitely uh, happy to to see how we can uh, also also like send uh, founders your your way. Please, uh, that's definitely something that uh, could be uh, could be done for sure. So thank you so. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate tech ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbscamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.